KPFK in Los Angeles, California, Valley Free Radio in Florence, and WMBR in Cambridge, Massachusetts, WNUC in Detroit, and BikeTalk.org worldwide. This is Bike Talk. Bike Talk. Hey, Nick. Hey, Taylor. Happy Bike Month. Happy Bike Month. We have some guests here to talk about Bike Month from different parts of the country. Isn't that amazing? It's great. Todd Scott, who's the executive director of the Detroit Greenways Coalition. Hey, Todd. Hey, Todd. Hey, thanks for having me on. Thanks for being here. And Cynthia Rose, director of Santa Monica Spoke, board chair of CalBike, board chair of Bike LA. Hi, Cynthia. Great to be here. A longtime friend of the show. You've been on almost since the beginning. Since we were doing it in person. <laughs> That's right. Uh, it's good to have you back. And Elena Hoosman, who's board member of Friends of Northampton Trails in Northampton, Massachusetts. Hi, Hi everyone. Great to be here. Thanks for being here. And Lindsay Sturman's here. Bike Talk co-host. LCI co-founder. Livable community. Hi, everyone. Hi, Lindsay. Hello. Does anybody know when May became Bike Month? I never even heard of it until like a couple of years ago. 1956. Wow. Well, May is is such a great month for Bike Month. I mean, in Los Angeles, we can bike all year round, but Todd in Detroit and Alana in, in Massachusetts, it's a little tougher. So May's kind of a nice time to get back out on the bike, right? Yeah. I mean, even May in Detroit can be a little bit iffy early on in May. You don't know if you're going to have rain or cold, but uh, sometimes even snow. But uh, right. yeah, generally speaking, May is when everyone starts getting really itchy, getting out there and doing some riding. Yeah. We were off to a cold start this month in May here in Massachusetts, but we've had beautiful weather. So we're doing a bunch of bike month events around the Connecticut River Valley. So not just Northampton. I'll speak to some of the events that um, Friends of Northampton Trails is sponsoring, um, one of which is our bike breakfast on Wednesday, May 17th from 7.30 a.m. to 10 a.m. And this is just to celebrate cyclists who are commuting um, to work. We'll have bagels and coffee in downtown Northampton right along the bike trail. We're um, a community that's fortunate enough to have a rail trail that runs through us and connects our community with a lot of other uh, municipalities. Um, We're also sponsoring a great tree bicycle tour. And so this is a self-guided tour around the city um, to look at 11 majestic trees. And so it runs throughout the month of May um, and folks can see signs. Uh, There's a QR code from our website and see signs around town and and follow that trail um, to learn a little bit more about some of the, the larger trees in our community. And then I'll highlight they're almost finished or they're finished. I'm not entirely sure with their rail trail in Westfield. And and so they're going to be celebrating that um, this month with a mayor's bike ride on uh, Wednesday, May 24th at 530. Um, So there's a lot of really great events that are happening around the Valley. And so it's a great opportunity to engage with the cycling community and, and to bring a friend along too. I love it when there's things like the mayor's ride. I think that's such a wonderful opportunity for advocates to get out there and ride with politicians and show them, one, how crazy the roads can be for cyclists, but two, offer them a path forward of of getting more safe infrastructure on the street. So I'm really glad y'all are doing that. Yeah, we we actually have done one in Northampton with the Northampton mayor. Um, We did it back September, October of last year, and that was really successful. We had the mayor come out. We also had several city councilors come out and we had a state senator come out. And so they all rode bikes, which was amazing. It was about an hour tour and we really highlighted some of the pain points in the city, um, both really dangerous intersections, intersections near schools, 
And then also just pavement quality is a really big challenge right. in, in the Northeast. Right. And um, I'm sure Todd can speak to that also in <laughs> Michigan. <laughs> I spent a few years in Michigan myself and, and know the pain of um, bumpy roads on a bike. And so um, being able to bring politicians out and um, just showcase both really great infrastructure and and have them, you know, experience that great infrastructure, but then also those pain points where they might feel unsafe themselves. Right. You all probably don't know this, but in Los Angeles, one of the things that got the bike movement going finally after years of pushing was our mayor getting hit by a car. There is an upside he was, he to was doored, doored he was doored by a taxi. Exactly. Yeah. Todd, what's going on in Detroit? I don't think many bicyclists in, D- in Detroit know about Bike Month, but they do know that May is the month when all the, the weekly rides start. You know, we have we have over 80 bike clubs. Not all of them are active, but we have, you know, quite a few that are very, very active hosting rides um, every single week. One is the Soul Roll, which is hosted by the D-Town Riders Bike Club. They roll twice a week in Detroit. And then there's the West Side Wednesday ride hosted by the Lane Bangers. These are pretty pretty good sized uh, groups, you know, get up to 200 people, and they're happening uh, every week. Uh, May 13th, um, Back Alley Bikes, which is our youth earn a bike program and bike co-op, they're hosting our garage sale, which is a way of getting bikes into people's hands that are less expensive than new bikes. It's a big, big issue in Detroit, trying to get more people access to bikes. Um, on May 19th, we're having our Bike to Everywhere Day, which is, you know, used to be Bike to Work Day. But since COVID, you know, we de-emphasized the work part. But one thing we're doing that day that's kind of special is we have a, a Bikes for Employees program where we're giving away bikes to um, employees that do not have reliable transportation. And we give them the bike and all the safety gear and the, the equipment and um, help them ride to work. And uh, we're giving out a bunch of bikes on uh, May 19th for, for that day. May 21st, which is a, a Sunday, I believe, Black Leaders Detroit is hosting a seven-day ride across the state of Michigan. It's a, called the Ride for Unity. They are uh, raising funds for Black-led businesses. And um, so far, they've raised and distributed over a million dollars. So that's really great to see. As they travel north through northern Michigan, you know, they have a lot of great conversations with, with local leaders in those communities that probably aren't as used to having uh, folks from Detroit come visit. Really, really love seeing it happening. That basically rounds out what's happening in Detroit for Bike Month. We're just super excited. We we also have a, a, one of our greenways is opening up this year in, in a couple of weeks. Um, we've been w- waiting to ride it. It's only about a mile long, but it's, it's going to be spectacular. It sounds great. I'm sure you know this, but Bike Talk is now in Detroit on uh, 96.7 FM. Absolutely. Easy cycling listening. So you have to check us out there. Todd, I just interviewed Christina Peltier and Kalani Thorpe about the Joe Lewis Greenway. That's going to play next on our show. Um, I wonder if you could just give us a quick rundown on the Joe Lewis Greenway. It really sounds wonderful. It started with an eight mile of abandoned rail corridor, and someone had the idea of, well, let's take that eight miles and extend it, connect it up to some existing trails, and make a 27-mile loop around the city of Detroit. And so we were advocating for that for 10 years. And then finally, you know, what happened, we had a, a new planning director came in and, and said, you know, let's make this more than a trail. Let's make this a, a way to revitalize the neighborhoods of Detroit. And that just uh, really fired things up and it became a major priority for the mayor. And, you know, they've been raising hundreds of millions of dollars to build it. And it, the mayor said it's going to be done by 2027. The frosting on the cake is it will connect up to the new Gordy Howe Bridge that's under construction that we advocated for a biking and walking lane on that bridge. So you'll be able to come right off the greenway and go all the way across to Canada. 
Wow. That's going to be amazing. It will be. Yeah. Greenways are such an incredible place for people to live because they have, you know, mobility. I'd love to check it out and I can uh, talk to you about what we're doing, combining housing and transportation. Yeah, I can say that um, the housing discussion started very early with the Joe Louis Greenway. You know, Detroit saw what happened with the Atlanta Beltline and was very concerned about gentrification and displacing people who are currently living along the uh, future trail. And so they brought people from Atlanta up to Detroit. We've had a lot of discussions about how do we do this right so that people aren't getting displaced? And how can we build on this opportunity to to provide more affordable housing in Detroit? Amazing. And Cynthia Rose. Yeah. Tell us what's going on in Los Angeles. First of all, I'd like to say how wonderful it is to hear all of the great things that are happening elsewhere around the country. It's been a long time since, you know, with COVID, since I've been to the the National Bike Summit, and I've gotten an insight into some of these wonderful projects and momentum that's being created across the country. But National Bike Month was established in 1956. So it's been going on a long time. It's designed to showcase the benefits of cycling and encourage more people to try. So, you know, before I get to Santa Monica with Bike LA, Eli and his team are really focused on getting elected officials out on bikes, whether it be at Ciclovia or on bike rides in new corridors. So that's really something fun that's happening in LA and LA being such a different animal than most places in the country where we have so many municipalities. We do have things going on all over the county with many different, you know, bike organizations, advocacy groups, and so on and so forth. In Santa Monica, we've had some big wins in a city of eight square miles. We've had over 20 pit stops on bike to work day. We all coordinate them on a map. We do weekly handlebar happy hours in coordination with our civic partners at Buy Local. We, but, we but you're not drinking while you ride, right, Cynthia? No, these are, we go to a local business and we imbibe on either adult beverages or not and ride <laughs> responsibly as we leave. But right. we, it's, it's all about supporting local businesses and right. different businesses that are not connected to bicycling offer specials to people who arrive by bike, therefore encouraging people to bike everywhere. So we know people who ride bikes don't spend as much per visit, but they spend more over time at local businesses because they visit more often. Part of the Handlebar Happy Hours was to introduce businesses to people that bike and realize that they have lots of money to spend too. So that's in coordination with Bike by Local. And then we do the, the specials. And we have places, you know, like a plumbing store that does a pit stop for Bike to Work Day out in front of their shop. So this is, it's a diverse crowd. This year, we're back up to close to what we had um, in our last real bike month celebration, which was 2019. Since 2019, we really haven't had a bike month or bike celebrations. As Todd was saying, it's it was bike everywhere. We just celebrated a different way. So it's still bike everywhere, but now we're actually showing up in person. We have a um, critical mass ride, which is our family bike rides for kids to adults, which is now in coordination with our active aging pilot program. And that'll be May 21st. And that's a short bike ride. Nick, you've been to those. We're going to do one of those. And then we're going to do another one in June, but that's after bike month. But, you know, I would, yeah, it was interesting to hear about the rides with the mayor. We used to do those. When we had a bike riding mayor, we did those monthly. So 
yeah, those those bike rides are so important, getting people who are elected out onto bikes. But it also encourages members of the community who may not attend a ride like that to also attend because they know they're going to have the mayor's ear or the the city council member's ear. So we tend to have our invite our public officials, our city council and such to our events. And we're coordinating and working with the city mobility team. So it's been busy, but lots of fun. Good. Bike month should be busy. Todd, you've got something else coming up in Detroit. Yeah, well, when Cynthia mentioned uh, wanting to see some of the stuff in Detroit, I I forgot to mention that one of the biggest events we have in the city is called Coop Day. It happens over Memorial Weekend. There's three days of events, but the big big event is on Saturday. Uh, It attracts hundreds of people uh, from all around the Midwest and all around the country. It's when all the bike clubs get together and they roll out the bikes they've been working on in secret over the winter. And that includes, you know, custom lights, custom uh, mechanicals, custom um, music. Coupe Day, there'll be awards for all those categories. And um, you see some amazing uh, one-off bikes, you know. Detroit is known for making things. Cars. Custom bikes. <laughs> well, yeah, a lot of these guys have car skills and, and yeah. you know, they apply it to working on bikes. Well, uh, Todd Scott and oh, Cynthia wait. Rose. Lindsay wanted to meet Cynthia. I just wanted to introduce myself. So um, Cynthia, so I've heard so much about you. So I, I would just love to connect at some point and tell you about yeah, some stuff. So for sure. Your name, uh, it's also, I have heard it in the, in our circles. Bike month is all about bikes, but I think that one of the things that we've been working on and advocating for is that mobility is so interconnected to many of the things that are important to all of us, that where we live, where we work, the climate, environmental justice, and I think the intersectionality of all of these different advocacy campaigns is finally really connecting, for lack of a better way of saying it. And I think that that's the synergy that's really picking us up and taking us further. Yeah. Thank you so much, Todd and Cynthia and Elena, for telling us what's going on in your areas, Detroit, Los Angeles, and Massachusetts. And it's great to hear all the stuff going on around the country. And happy bike month. There is so much happening for Bike Month. It's really great to hear about all the different cities and all the things that they're doing. Every day should be Bike Month. And most people want a bike every day. Yeah. So so next up, Taylor, you've got this really cool interview about the Joe Lewis Greenway. Yeah. Well, you know, everyone knows that Joe Lewis was the famous heavyweight boxing champion from Detroit. I just spoke with Christina Peltier and Kalani Thorpe, an advocate and a city project lead. And they told me about this. Joe Lewis Greenway, which is an amazing stretch of protected and separated bike lanes. It's 30 miles long, and it's going to start to reconnect neighborhoods that were separated and destroyed in many cases by the freeway system in the 1950s and 60s. So it took us a long time to get there, but things like the Joe Lewis Greenway are helping housing and bringing people back together. And here's that interview. I'm here with two movers and shakers from from the Motor City, from Detroit, Michigan. I myself am, am from Lansing, Michigan, so I'm really happy to have you all on. And you all are on because we're going to talk a little bit about the Joe Lewis Greenway. I'd like to introduce Christina Peltier, who is the project lead with the General Services Department of the City of Detroit, and Kalani Thorpe, who is a bicycle and pedestrian advocate and expert. Welcome to Bike Talk, Christina and Kalani. Thank you. you. Absolutely. You know, I just looked at a video that we will put in our show notes to the Joe Lewis Greenway. And 
I wonder if, Christina, you could tell us briefly what the Joe Louis Greenway is, where does it go, where does it end, all that stuff. Sure. Um, real high level, it's a 30-mile loop around the city, but not only the city of Detroit, it connects Dearborn, Hamtramck, Highland Park, and eventually will connect to Canada. Wow, 30 miles? I didn't get that at all. So and it connects 24 different neighborhoods in the city of Detroit. So it's a pretty, or sorry, 23 neighborhoods in the city of Detroit. Wow. And you say it's a loop. So it, it starts downtown and kind of loops around and comes back. So you could ride a whole loop on it. Is that it? Yep. You could ride from downtown all the way west to the city of Dearborn, all the way north to Highland Park, all the way east to, to Hamtramck, and then back around. So about 70% of it's off street on formal rail corridors, and about 30% will be on street protected bike lanes. Wow. And how far along are you in the process? So we have one, well, we have three miles under construction currently, right on the Dearborn border. And then we're starting at the next five miles on a former rail corridor next month. So we'll have eight miles underway. Um, some sections are already complete, like our Detroit Riverwalk, our DeQuinder Cut, Southwest Greenway's opening May 24th. So there's little pieces that are popping off all across the, uh, the region. Wow. In the video, it shows some pictures of what some of the area was like in 2019, really a short three, four years ago. And then it shows you what it looks like now with the Greenway. I wonder if you could talk about that quickly. Sure. When we talk about the Greenway, it's it's really more than a biking path or a walking path. Um, it was important to residents that it helped develop the community, that it promoted equity among the community, and it also reconnected neighborhoods that have been divided by the highways or high-speed right. roads. Right. So it's a, a huge blight removal project, thousands of tires. Uh, we were at 23 Olympic swimming pools worth of debris removed just oh in the first goodness. three miles. Kalani, how long have you been working on this? So I've been excited about the Greenway, oh goodness, since at least, since I first heard about it, honestly. And I can just say I'm excited for the entire Greenway to be completed. But in the meantime, we still have all of what's been completed to ride. My favorite part is starting in downtown Detroit and then cruising through the um, the DeQuinter Cut and looking for different areas to bike around, such as the Eastern Market and just a lot of different venues throughout the city connected by the Greenway. So I'm really excited. 30 miles is a lot of of safe space to peruse around. So looking forward you know, to I, it. I love that you said safe space because that's the that's the key right there. You know, the the one people the, the one thing people always say is that they would ride more if they felt safe, either a protected bike lane or a completely separate bike path like the Joe Lewis Greenway is a, is a game changer. Yes, it's a beautiful game changer that has been well overdue. And as a Detroit citizen, I can say that we are grateful. We are passing this down to the generation coming up be uh, after us. So we look forward to making sure that they're educated and they feel comfortable and their parents as well to understand that this is being made for them and those that come behind them. So I'm really excited about that. Right. You know, picking up on that, Detroit has gone through a, a difficult time in the past, you know, 15 or 20 years. Uh, I wonder if you could speak quickly uh, about how this is giving new life to much of Detroit's neighborhoods. Christina, let me have this for like a minute and then you can chime in if you, if you like me, uh, because I really believe that, you know, we are the Motor City. We always have been and we always will be. The Motor City may look differently now, and that's OK, too. We can still be the Motor City and introduce 
different things like the greenways, introducing people getting familiar with biking, with traffic, making sure that drivers are respecting the relationship between cyclists and drivers so that cyclists can drive comfortably because it's not safe to ride on the sidewalks. Right. You know, so we're just really excited to keep the Motor City as it is, but just introduce and make sure that those drivers understand that the cyclists are coming through as well. And there's enough room to share the road, share the space. We all have to get to where we need to go. Let's do it together and let's let it make sense. Christina, what do you say? I agree 100%. Because we have a lot of wide roads, it gives us opportunity to create safe infrastructure where there wasn't before. And even though we're Motor City, we have over 80 bicycle clubs in the city of Detroit. Every night of the week, there's a group ride happening, if not one wow. or two. So there's a huge bicycling, bicycling culture in the city of Detroit. Right. I live in Los Angeles now. And one of the problems we're having is we have wide roads also. And that just leads to speeding, to really imprudent driving habits. And that makes it very dangerous. We had 312 people killed in the, in Los Angeles County last year due to traffic violence. So you're helping solve that problem by making the roads narrower by adding bike lanes and, and protective bike lanes. Is that it? Definitely putting these roads on road diets. Um, in 2018, I think it was, we had the second highest fatality rate for bicyclists. Wow. So there's been a huge push in the city of Detroit through our public works partners general services partners to do a more complete street style programming. So you'll see more and more of that happening in Detroit now where we're putting those larger roads on road diets. Right. Great. I wonder if you could speak briefly to the hurdles that you had to go through to get this passed through. Was it city council or the department of street services or, you know, what, what were the hurdles that you as advocates had to go through to get this amazing project? I'll start Kelani. I think, I don't know if you want to add to it. I think it is um, a bit of a culture shift to think about the bicycling and, and just safety factors, getting people off the sidewalks where it's not safe. Um, one of the biggest successes that moved this project forward was being able to purchase an eight-mile rail corridor and yeah. also the support from the Ralph Wilson Foundation, Junior Foundation. They gave us a grant to kick off a framework to really explore the route, what is the purpose of the Greenway, and both that the rail acquisition and then the American Rescue Plan Act really propelled the project forward because of the need of green spaces and healthy places for people to walk. Right. So I can say that we still have a ways to go, but truthfully, there has been a gradual incline over the last decade, 100%. So I think as more cyclists and more natives or people in the city just got out there on the street, it's created the conversation along with, you know, more reason why we needed the Greenway. So to see it now on all of our major streets, pretty much, it feels like, okay, y'all were listening. They right. were paying attention, connected with everything else and the funding. It was just really great to have once not been able to have those safety measures, but now we do. So yeah. shout out to the city for that. Yeah. You know, I, I think if someone had asked me 10 years ago, what I thought about the interstate highway system in the United States, I wouldn't have realized that there was a real inequity issue in how those highways were built. And I feel now we're starting to wake up and say, oh my God, this has had devastating impacts on underserved communities. And it seems like the Joe Louis Greenway is a real step in the right direction to begin to repair some of that damage. 
And it's definitely reconnecting neighborhoods that were divided by the highways. In some spots, we go under the expressways or interstates. In some ways, we go over where there weren't pathways before. Right. And bringing people together of, of different neighborhoods and, and allowing you to do, you know, a two mile errand on a bicycle can really change your neighborhood. You you see your neighbors more, you are in the neighborhood and you're not also using a, a fossil fuel car. I can say it breathes new life into the city, one resident at a time. Right. One person biking to work, biking to the grocery store, biking to a friend's house walking these channels, feeling safe enough in their individual neighborhood. Imagine if like one new person every day in the neighborhood felt safer to travel without a car. That changes everything. And it's contagious. It makes other people look at them like, wow, what makes them let me get out there and try it. And then it's the ripple effect. And that's a beautiful thing. Right. Right. And to build off of that, 25% of Detroiters don't have access to a vehicle. So it does become an equity issue just from a transportation perspective. I'd, I'd love to bring a, my colleague, if I could, in the future on from Complete Streets. Public Works is doing a lot of great work to make the streets safer, just full streetscape projects and trying to use that to help revitalize some of the commercial corridors. Right. It does seem like there's an awful lot of green space around the greenway. It's not just a paved road for bicycles to ride on. It looks like it's a linear park to me. Yeah, exactly. the eight-mile corridor we purchased with uh, MDNR funds, uh, it's 379 feet wide at its widest and then 25 oh. feet. But on average, it's about 120 feet wide, most of the eight-mile corridor. And it gives us the opportunity to introduce stormwater to residents. It was really important to make sure we're using more natural field mixes for birds and butterflies, less manicured grass. Right. So really focusing on the stormwater, the environmental impacts. Right. What do you look forward to, Kalani, in the future with the Joe Lewis Greenway and and other advances that you're making? In the future, I look forward to more and more greenway space. I look forward to many versions of this all throughout. I look forward to hosting bike rides. I look forward to hosting, to seeing families hosting picnics or, you know, reunions, or this is just the beginning. Just, I just look forward to people taking advantage of what is being built here. I look forward to people remembering that this is our space and these are the new developments being made for you or for us. And I look forward to the opportunities that are opening up with this Greenway and, and other spaces like it. Christina Peltier and Polani Thorpe, thank you so much for the work that you're doing in Detroit. And thank you for coming on Bike Talk. Thanks for the opportunity. Thanks for having us. Until next time. Taylor, that was fascinating. These could be the backbone of some housing, some really, and, and not just the housing along the greenways, all the people who live on either side of those greenways suddenly have real mobility. So you can really create some gentle density all around these greenways. Yeah. Every time I hear the term bikeable life, do you know what I think of? Are you guys Lord of the Rings fans? Um, If you haven't seen it, okay, um, you'll have no idea what I'm talking about. Arwen has this line. She says, I want a mortal life. It's a very powerful Uh, people know line. I choose a mortal life. And I I always think I want a bikeable life. But one of the key aspects, as we know, of a bikeable life is slower speeds. And that's what our next interview is about. Um, Seamus Garrity talking about, I think the most important bill of this year is AB 645, the speed camera bill. 
ASE, automatic speed enforcement. And if you can slow cars down, our cities change overnight. Right. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. There it is. Today, I am going to speak to Becca Matola Barnes from Walk San Francisco about AB 645, which is the Speed Safety Cameras pilot program um, that was reintroduced by Assemblymember Laura Friedman. We are bicycle riders, and it is extraordinarily dangerous out there right now. It, it, after the pandemic, it seems like things are getting even even more dangerous. Um, and so we really are hoping this bill passes. Um, and so today I wanted to talk and discuss the matter and the effort with Becca. How are you today, Becca? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on. I'm looking forward to talking about this important legislation. So tell me a little bit about Walk SF and uh, and what's going on. Yeah. Um, so Walk SF or Walk San Francisco is a pedestrian safety advocacy organization here in San Francisco. Uh, among the many things that we do is we uh, we advocate for bills at the California state level legislation to make our streets safer. So this bill, AB 645, is uh, meant to introduce a speed safety camera pilot program in California, specifically in six cities in California. Kind of at the high level, AB 645 will uh, allow these six cities that I was talking about. San Francisco is one of them. Also San Jose, Los Angeles, Long Beach, Oakland, and Glendale to install uh, speed camera systems that will be focused on school zones, high injury networks, and um, in areas with the history of speed racing and motor vehicle sideshows. Um, and each, each jurisdiction gets a certain number of cameras based on their population. So like San Francisco, for example, would get 33 cameras, meaning that this is a, like what I would consider a relatively small scale pilot program in order to demonstrate whether or not this works for California cities. Um, yeah. Yeah. And so, um, yeah, I'm seeing this. These this, was that was that part of an amendment that was added in the Assembly Privacy Committee. So I think so. This bill has gone through several incarnations over the past. Um, I think 2016 was the first time a similar piece of legislation was introduced, and um, the the stumbling blocks for previous legis- pieces of legislation have been things like. Uh, people's privacy and mm-hmm. some equity concerns. And so this bill has done quite a bit, has been modified quite a bit in order to address those previous concerns. Um, there were a couple little amendments that were introduced in the privacy committee that just happened last week. But the ones that I'm talking about have been in this bill design since it was introduced this this cycle. Mm, got it. Yeah, I mean, I'm looking through the analysis from that uh, from that committee, and the support is so extensive. Every uh, cities, all the pilot cities, um, every bike coalition, 
pretty much that I know of. Yeah. Uh, basically every, every kind of like, I don't know, street level community organization that mm-hmm. is concerned with traffic violence has signed on to support this bill. Um, and so like we know in our communities that this is something that makes people safer. So, mm-hmm. so kind of the back, the backstory is other jurisdictions around the United States have these these um, systems already. New York has demonstrated um, something like a 70, what is the number? 76% reduction in uh, in speeding over the course of, of rolling out their speed safety camera mm-hmm. program. Um, that reduces fatalities and severe injuries by more than 50% uh, because speed is the number one like factor in in the severity of an impact mm-hmm. when you are hit by a car. So yeah, so this like reduction in speed is really what we can do to make our make biking around less of a hazard. <laughs> Yeah, and I and I think you know while while our our listeners are I would think would be by and large in, in favor of this bill, I think that um, it's important that we address some of those concerns right now, which which I yeah. think are have have been very eloquently uh, um, accounted for in in this iteration AB six four five, and it's important to remember that you know it forty two thousand people in the United States lost their lives to traffic violence just in 2021, which is a, you know, a large increase from 2020, which we know was a very deadly year in and of itself. Um, And so I think that most folks understand the need for this legislation. And I think the concerns should be met with facts. And that is that AB 645, it sets fines of $50, $100, $200, or $500 for breaking the speed limit by, by certain increments. And that's mm-hmm. like going over 100 miles an hour. Um, can you talk about kind of what AB 645 does specifically in the law? Yeah, so the the fines that you just uh stated that $50 first tier kicks in if you're going if you're speeding over 11 miles over the speed limit and then the increments like go up by 5 or 10 uh miles per hour depending on on which increment it is and um so if you're if you're if you're going you know 10 miles over the speed limit you're not going to get a ticket um, and one like one of the ways that this particular incarnation of the bill addresses those concerns about equity is that these tickets are civil tickets. They're like parking tickets. They are not criminal violations of the law. So like if you are pulled over by a police officer for speeding, that's a criminal violation. But if you get this ticket, then it's not it's not a criminal violation. It's it functions. Well, like I said, a lot more like a parking ticket. Um, other ways that it's similar to a parking ticket is that like effectively the car gets the ticket, not the person driving. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, somebody who's a human has to pay the ticket eventually. But um, there's no photograph taken of your face. It's just of the license plate. So 
that addresses some of these privacy concerns that people have been having. Another way that this bill addresses privacy concerns is that these records have to be purged once the ticket is issued uh, after 60 days. So the that record will not be like kept over the long term. Mm-hmm. So these like kind of the concern about privacy of like somebody knows where your license plate that's attached to your car is mm. um, that information does not stay in the system and does not get shared with like law enforcement. So mm. that's uh, I think that does a lot to like kind of build a distinction between the the kind of the criminal way that we think about speeding today and what this will do in California cities. Got it. So that's interesting. I noticed there is also this caveat in the or this uh, other part of the bill that folks who um, live in certain um, poverty at certain poverty levels, they also have reduced fines. Is that correct? That's right. Yeah. So if you're if you're living at or below the poverty line, um, you get an eighty percent reduction in the fee. So like, you know, I can't do the Math right, right off the top like, of my yeah. head, but but eighty percent eighty percent off of fifty dollars is a is a pretty low ticket. And then if you are living at two hundred percent above the poverty poverty line, then your fee is reduced by fifty percent. So mm-hmm. they're they're really trying to just like <laughs> the point of this program is not to raise money. The point of this program is to get people to stop speeding. And um, other other programs that have been rolled out like this have shown a significant reduction in tickets issued, meaning that speeding is happening less in the places where these cameras are monitoring people's speed. Mm -hmm. Uh, And part of the provision of this bill is that after 18 months of having these programs up and running, if there's no change in the number of tickets, if there's no reduction in the number of tickets being issued, i.e. there's no reduction in the amount of speeding that's happening in these corridors, then the city has to reevaluate and say like, okay, this isn't working. What are we going to do instead? Interesting. Mm-hmm. But you know that, and that really gets to the issue of you know built you know built infrastructure that is that is safe versus um, this sort of punitive. This yeah. yeah. So part of so even though this is not meant to be a fundraising bill, what it does say is that any of the revenue that is generated from these programs has to be has to be used to pay for building street safety infrastructure improvements. Yeah. And it, it really can't be overstated how dangerous the streets are right now um, mm-hmm. and how how significant a part speed plays in in kind of escalating the, the danger um you yes. know looking, looking through the fact sheet um according to the national highway traffic safety administration a person struck by a vehicle going 20 miles per hour has a five percent chance of dying that number goes up to 40 percent for vehicles going 30 miles per hour and 80 percent for vehicles going 40 miles per hour. Cars go over 40 miles per hour, it seems like probably 90% of the time on most boulevards. And, mm-hmm. you know, whether whether there's a, a sign that says, you know, it's a school zone, you see cars flying through there without consequence. And, and I mm-hmm. think that 
um, this legislation is crucial. It's crucial for, for making it safer out there for yeah. everybody. I, I completely agree. And speaking about school zones, like those fatality numbers that you listed are like averages, but if a child gets hit by a car, their survival rate is significantly lower than that average because they're so much smaller and, and they're harder to see because they're mm-hmm. smaller because so like, yeah, really important to have these in school zones. Yeah. And, and to really kind of understand the, the, how small of a pilot program we are talking about in a, in a city um, the size of Los Angeles, second largest city in the United States, um, around 4 million people. Um, we are looking at what, how many, how many cameras possible in, in that area? It's oh, like, a, that's a good question. I, I do think not it's know only like 125. I of course know the San Francisco number off the top of my head, but, um, no, but, but I think that it's, it's the, it's the next one up. So it's only a hundred, I think 125 or 150 or something like that. Yeah. I, I could be wrong, but it's, it's, it's in that, it's in that in, ballpark. In somewhere around 120. Yeah. And also, my understanding is that these cameras do not record randomly. They're not recording all the cars driving by. They are specifically engaging with cars going over 11 miles an hour over the speed limit. Yep. I hope that people really come out and support this bill because, you know, it is a pilot. This is legislation and and policy um, being done in real time in in a very important way in our state. And so, you know, Becca, thank you so much for your, for advocating for it. And um, let's keep in touch throughout the legislative process as it goes, as it moves along, let us know what we can do. Thank you so much. Let's get it done. Thank you, Becca. Thanks for being here. Seamus, thank you. And thank you, Bike Talk. Hopefully Seamus's interview on Bike Talk will be the straw that broke the camel's back and pushed that bill up the hill. I agree. Uh, Why not? Yeah. Next, we we have an interview with Representative Earl Blumenauer from Portland, Oregon. He's that's the third district in Oregon. Sarah Langenkamp was a U.S. diplomat working in Ukraine in a war zone, and she came back. She and her husband Daniel came back from Ukraine, and she was riding her bike home from her child's school in Bethesda, Maryland, and she was killed by a truck because the roads in Bethesda, Maryland are not safe for vulnerable road users. Representative Blumenhauer has introduced a bill called the Sarah Langenkamp Active Transportation Safety Act, and this is an interview with Representative Blumenhauer and Daniel Langenkamp. I'm here with Congressman Earl Blumenauer of the 3rd District of Oregon, which is Portland. Congressman Blumenauer, welcome to Bike Talk. Thank you. Pleased to be with you. You've been in the Congress since 1996, and you started the Bike Caucus. Can you tell our listeners really quick about what brought that about and and how it's been going? Well, I made a decision when I came to Congress that I was going to bring a couple of bicycles and no car. Uh, And over the course of uh, over two decades, uh, I've been able to get along without a car using the most efficient form of transportation ever designed, the bicycle, burning calories instead of fossil fuel. Uh, we started the Bike Caucus to try and raise the visibility and be able to connect people who care about cycling. You know, it's interesting. We find almost everybody has a cycling story, uh, a memory, uh, something that matters to them. It is uh, 
it's not uh, narrowly partisan. We, we like to say we're bike partisan. <laughs> um, my uh, co-chair of the Bike Caucus uh, is a uh, ferocious uh, uh, cyclist from Florida. And, and we have 80, over 80 people in the caucus already uh, this Congress. And I think as we go along, we'll, we'll get uh, more recruits. I did look at the list of the, of the representatives that are, that are in the Bike Caucus, and it is pretty heavily Democratic. And I wondered if you think there is a, a split between parties in biking. It seems to me that, that biking is part of a freedom of choice, that it's frugal, that, that it, actually is, it actually satisfies a lot of conservative viewpoints yet it seems to be more democratic. And I wonder if you have any thoughts about that. Well, part of it is just that I am a Democrat and I have more connections with Democrats, although we work very hard to make sure that this is, as I say, bipartisan. Right. Um, it is uh, an opportunity to be able to build momentum and cycling advocacy is, is not... Uh, simply red state or blue state. Uh, sometimes there are people who are a little hesitant uh, because one of the things we advocate for is more spending on bike infrastructure. I think that this is a very good investment of federal, state, and local dollars. It actually buys more road capacity than a commensurate uh, investment in expanding roads. We've been able in Portland, for instance, by putting bike infrastructure on one of our downtown bridges, it has given us the equivalent of a lane of traffic for less than $100,000. So I think it's a, a good investment. And as you say, it speaks to people's uh, willingness to, to exercise that freedom of being able to say, I think a number of us remember that sense of freedom when we were uh, school children and being able to navigate the neighborhood, go to school on the bike is a, is a good feeling for a number of folks. Absolutely. The Bike Caucus has been able to start the National Bike Summit in Washington. It's also introduced the Vision Zero Act. What other kind of legislation has the Bike Caucus been able to achieve? Well, uh, be clear, those are uh, individual initiatives that I've undertaken. The Bike Caucus itself is just a group that is able to explore the affinity for cycling. It's a forum that we can talk about these issues. Uh, it doesn't have uh, a specific agenda. Uh, it's a, a way to demonstrate support and come together. But these are le legislative items that I've introduced uh, working hard to make sure they are bipartisan. We've worked for years to be able to expand the federal investment. This last year was kind of a landmark. I had a vision zero legislation that uh, laid the groundwork for the Safe Streets for All program that uh, was funded at $5 billion over the course of the next five years. Uh, we've had legislation finally been enacted into law that allows us to define bike share as transit, which opens the spigot for other sources of federal funding. These are things that should not be unduly controversial. 
you have introduced a, a new act called the Active Transportation Safety Act, and it's named after a U.S. diplomat named Sarah Debnick Langenkamp. And I'm happy to introduce, but I'm sad that we have to talk about this this way, because it seems like oftentimes it's tragedies like these that are the impetus for getting safe infrastructure bills through either the federal or the local Congress government, excuse me. I want to introduce Dan Langenkamp. Dan was the husband of Sarah. And Dan, um, welcome to Bike Talk. Thanks very much. Thank you for helping Congressman Blumenauer get this bill started. And I wonder if you could quickly tell us about your your wife and the tragedy that happened last last August. Uh, thanks so much. Uh, so, you know, Sarah and I had just been evacuated from Ukraine where we were serving uh, the U.S. government. Sarah was working on anti-corruption programs there and uh, um, supplying and equipping the police and border guard forces essential to fighting Russia. And we had come back uh, and we're riding bikes uh, in in large part because we didn't have our cars yet, actually. They were being shipped from from Ukraine. Uh, And this is what we always do when we move as diplomats. We bring our bikes with us and we get riding them as soon as we can. And then the cars come in later. Uh, she was riding our bike, her bike back uh, to our apartment from uh, our, ch- our kids' new elementary school along a bike lane. And, and this is in Washington, to, D.C., correct? In Bethesda, yeah. In Bethesda, Bethesda Maryland, okay. just north of D.C. And it took her along a, a patch of road where there was a truck driver who irresponsibly and recklessly just turned into her, crushing her. And I say the word crushing because, as many of us know, these vi- these bike um, crashes are uh, are violent, and they they shouldn't be happening. Um, which is one reason why you know, in order to basically make the uh, cyclists safer, I think that we need to have more protected bike lanes. And I'm working with Congressman Blumenauer and other people to try to raise awareness about this and and get this legislation passed. I really think that it's. Uh, it's, it's, it's not too much of a lift, lift for us to do this and reduce the number of uh, pedestrian and cyclist deaths in the country. I think it's totally possible. Right. Yes. And, and think about that for a moment. Some of the harrowing, harrowing uh, circumstances that uh, Dan and Sarah endured uh, with their service to the country and then uh, and survived though in some really violent uh, locations, only to be subjected to violence here on our streets. This has not received the priority that it should. And in fact, in the aftermath of the pandemic, we're watching an uptick in terms of reckless behavior, people running red lights, people not respecting uh, cyclists and pedestrians. Uh, We've got our work cut out for us, uh, but it's worth the fight because uh, the women, children, elderly are more vulnerable and they're the indicator species of a livable community. So I'm, I'm saddened about the circumstances, but I hope that we'll be able to raise the profile in Sarah's memory to have greater emphasis and investment in safety. It is just mind numbing to me how little we invest to try and make bikes and pedestrian 
uh, users safer, um, how it isn't rocket science, what Dan said about protected bike lanes. Uh, that's sort of the gold standard, but we have the capacity of doing that. And even though we're working to have more federal resources, and I'm pleased that I mentioned we're going to be putting a billion dollars a year for the next five years, it's a drop in the bucket. And these are things that we can work with local school districts, city councils, county commissions to be able to take simple common sense steps uh, to make the cycling and pedestrian experience, for that matter, safer. Right. Well, if there is any positive to come out of such a tragedy, it would be this Active Transportation Act. I wonder if, if you could highlight a few of the points of what it does. Well, we would uh, be able to unlock the Highway Safety Improvement Program uh, for projects, for instance, that connect two pieces of safe cycling infrastructure because we need to have networks right. and too much of it is disjointed. And you see that in the Washington DC area, you can see it in my community. We've got some very good facilities, but they aren't connected the way that we see that in Europe. Uh, sorry to interrupt, Please. but Sarah was on one of those basically unconnected pieces of bike infrastructure. You know, she uh, was in a bike lane, but that lane could have been made safer. She was right. only about 200 yards from a really famous bike trail in Washington, D.C. And she was going towards uh, if this lane, I think, had been constructed differently, that tra that reckless driver would have been stopped. Yes. Right. Oftentimes we, we learn that uh, a three lane road can be made into a two-lane road with a protected bike lane that allows cyclists and pedestrians a little bit more space in the road, but also makes it safer for driving. Two lanes, cars are a little bit more prudent than they are in three lanes. And so it sounds like that could have been done in a situation like this. This is not rocket science. We know what works. And having the raw materials, for instance, about being able to manage the parking and set it aside, being able to connect bike lanes that uh, are episodic and sending clear, consistent signals to motorists and by every, not just the uh, protected bike lanes, but, you know, road design with massive uh, wide way uh, roadways invite spading and right. being able to narrow, particularly by including a protected, protected bike lane in, encourages more responsible behaviors on the part of everybody. Uh, so this is a, this is a long-term struggle. I've been uh, working on uh, bike lanes now for, for 35 years right. uh, in local government and the federal government, and we've had some successes. But we're not going to be able to count uh, success until we can extend these principles and the safety for facilities across the country. The legislation to start, I deeply appreciate Dan's partnership as we try and raise the profile and engage more people. But this is, is a long-term project and we need to make sure that everybody is doing their part. Right. One of the things we talk a lot about on Bike Talk also is language, using the, using the right kind of language. And I noticed uh, Dan had used the word crushed and crashed. But even in the press release, it says legislation unlocks critical roadway safety funds for local governments Honor State Department employee killed in bicycle accident last August. And those are the kinds of language things that we want to change. 
It wasn't a bicycle accident. It was a crash because of poor road design and improper driving. If I can just add, you know, this is not going to be just a messaging bill. We have over a dozen co-sponsors in the House already, and a, a companion bill will be introduced in the Senate by the Maryland senators and some others in the in the next in the next few weeks. Great. I think after <laughs> coming out of the pandemic, we all thought things were going to change a little bit faster, and it has it, it sort of gone back the other way, as you were mentioning earlier, with wide open streets and people speeding. But I do feel like we are at a, a precipice. We're at a moment when the popular imagination is starting to change about safe roadways. So Dan, I I want you to know that everyone at Bike Talk is thinking about you and your family and Congressman Blumenauer, thank you for coming on and and for introducing the um, Sarah Debnick Langenkamp Active Transportation Safety Act. We will follow it on Bike Talk. Thanks very much for being on the show today. Thank you. My pleasure. We've got our work cut out for us, but uh, I'm encouraged. I'm encouraged. Thanks for sticking around to the end of the show, Lindsay. Yeah, I mean, it's always so tragic um, to do these stories. We all want to make biking safer. I think everybody wants that. That's why we're here every week. Yeah. And uh, if you go to our website, biketalk.org, you can become a sponsor on Patreon and help us keep doing the work and, and fighting the good fight. And that was Bike Talk. If you have a story, a tip, or a topic, head over to biketalk.org and send us a message. Talk again next week. Get on your bike, sit on the seat, put your feet on the pedals, and ride it all around, ride it all around. Bye.